Welcome to the IT Career Energizer podcast. For anyone who wants to build and grow a career in IT, develop and improve your strengths and skills, be inspired and motivated by the successes of others, manage your career progression, and achieve your IT career goals. And now, your host, Phil Burgess. Welcome to episode 145 of the IT Career Energizer podcast. My guest on today's show is Guillermo Rausch. Guillermo is the CEO and co-founder of Zeit, a San Francisco company whose mission it is to make cloud computing as easy and accessible as mobile computing. Prior to Zeit, Guillermo was the CTO and co-founder of LearnBoost and CloudUp. He's also the creator of several popular Node.js libraries. So Guillermo, can I ask you to expand on that brief intro and tell us a little bit more about yourself? For sure. Uh, For a number of years, I've been in the open source space, uh, creating libraries and projects that uh, probably many of you who are listening today have used or at least interacted with through a web browser. So uh, my career sort of started in open source with a framework called MooTools. MooTools was similar to jQuery, but it laid the foundations for a component system very early on. At the time, it was using classes. Uh, Mutuals was a project that then became deeply embedded within the roots of uh, Facebook's own uh, JS initiatives. Uh, and it, many of the team members of Mutuals then went on to work on React, and you probably uh, see them uh, every day today on, on Twitter. After Mutuals, I had a discovery of Node.js, as you mentioned. Uh, I was using PHP at the time. And I had this idea that JavaScript was a great language for writing everything uh, that I was doing at the time. So any web app, I thought there was too much context switch between writing PHP just for the backend, then going and creating and using uh, JavaScript for dynamic interactions, things like Ajax at the time, doing stuff on the client, making for more compelling user experience interactions. So uh, with Node.js, I set out to basically create a universal platform of sorts. Uh, The idea of code sharing between browser and and server became a really big deal uh, in the early days of the community. That led to projects like Browserify. And later on, of course, Webpack and the rest is sort of history. Today, uh, our company maintains the Next.js, which is one of the most popular frameworks for universal React applications. It's used by uh, some of the largest internet properties today are being built or have already launched on Next.js. So for example, Tencent News in China, one of the most highly trafficked websites in the world, is powered by Next.js. Recently, AT&T.com, IGN.com. A lot of your favorite websites are probably running on Next.js today. So open source has been the key uh, enabler for my career. Uh, Projects like Socket.io, Mongoose back in the day that I uh, created, and then later on Next.js, which led me to my current company, which if you create a project with Next.js, we want to make it so easy for you to deploy it to the cloud that it literally takes just one command now. So our company provides you now with the platform to host and scale 
any website or application serverlessly, whether it's client-heavy application, server-heavy application. Our mantra is that, as, I, as you said, it has to be just as easy as interacting with or deploying a mobile application. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so in, in terms of the growth of this area, is this something you're seeing gaining momentum or is it something that's sort of evolved? How, how do you see it? So I think this idea of uh, serverless compute is kind of a renaissance of cloud computing, to be honest. I think for the most part, cloud computing was something that was really not accessible to many. Netflix was sort of a pioneer in using cloud services to power their service, but they had to basically reinvent everything or invent everything really uh, to run on top of Amazon. They needed teams of hundreds of people to power their service. A similar story happened with Dropbox, which was an early adopter of cloud computing as well. Nowadays, with a platform like Zite Now, you literally don't need to learn about the low-level details of how virtual machines work, private networks, even configuring DNS and SSL is sort of a built-in uh, primitive of our platform. So you can focus on the code. And that's kind of the idea behind serverless is just focus on the code, which is what powers the interactions with your customers. I think your customers you know, or your business succeeds or dies by your ability to ship products, features, innovation, and a lot of that doesn't have to do with your ability to configure servers. That's why I call it a sort of this renaissance because the technology or the primitives that AWS, Google Cloud, and Azure have created have now been there for a long time. But then if you think about your own ability to access all that tremendous amount of computing power as an individual or as a small team or as a, a team within an, a company, I think there's been a lot of hiccups and constraints in harnessing that power. And now it's you know a matter of setting up one GitHub application or downloading uh, one program and running one command. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's certainly uh, sort of an area that's that's evolved almost unrecognizably over the last decade. Yeah, I think it's a little similar. Uh, I was explaining this to a friend of mine as what happened with the iPhone. And obviously, you know, we, we have a, a major investment in serverless computing, but the metaphor goes as follows. I, I think before the iPhone, the impact of mobile computing was exciting, yet quite limited. As a matter of fact, uh, the analogy follows into how BlackBerry, for example, was very popular, but it was a business user sort of device. Yes. And I think the appeal and reach was still limited. Like the vast majority of people were not finding the usefulness in, in the device. Uh, the app marketplaces were limited. And, and, and I think this is what's going to happen to cloud as well. Like with the iPhone, it, it just sort of immediately became universally accessible and, and much more productive and enjoyable to use, even for application developers. I think that the technology has been there, but us making it accessible is where we now really democratize and make it accessible to everyone to channel their creativity through. So, Guillermo, can you maybe share with us a career tip, um, perhaps the one that the listeners don't know and should? Yeah, uh, as I was thinking about this uh, a little bit earlier, I realized that a lot of the success in my career has always come from caring deeply about the customer, caring deeply about the end user. 
But um, as you mentioned in your guide, <laughs> funny enough, I was reading it earlier, it said, you know, don't use cliches. And I think there's this idea of caring deeply about the customers is never going to, uh, I'm never going to get enough of. But there's one particular aspect that I care personally about customer success and it's latency. So my tip is basically to know your latency figures or to know your latency numbers really well. So there's this Google engineer, like one of the early members of Google who, who wrote an article called the latency numbers that every engineer should know or every, every programmer should know. And it contains just a list of actions and how long they take. So for example, how long does it take to send a packet from California to the Netherlands and back? Yeah. So that takes 150 milliseconds today with pretty optimal network conditions. And you know, uh, that number is limited by the fundamental physical limits of our universe. So we've optimized the submarine cables and routers and packet switches so well that there's just only a tiny bit of friction beyond the theoretical minimum that the speed of light could travel from California to the Netherlands and back. And, and today that number is right around 150 milliseconds. And I've memorized that. You know, there is uh, no other way of developing an intuition about how certain things uh, work in this space other than uh, memorization. So that article also contains a lot of other interesting things like, you know, how long does it take to uh, access data stored in a hard drive? How long does it take to read it from main memory? And what are the differences between them? So when he presented this to Google uh, as an internal slideshow, he talked about uh, this being important for people that were going to work on large-scale distributed systems. And this is where I disagree. And this is where my uh, tip also goes into. I think this is something that everyone should know. I think this is something that every engineer and every designer should know. You might tomorrow have to choose whether you're going to cache something inside the browser memory, or you're going to put it into local storage, or you're going to put it into IndexedDB or some other technology. And you might want to think on the back of your mind, oh, this is probably the penalty that I'm going to pay for that. When you decide to deploy your application or website, uh, when you use a platform like ours, we as a default, use uh, implement a CDN on your behalf because we think it's so important to give your customers in the Netherlands great experiences, even if you live in California. But it's still, it's very important to think about, okay, like where's my database and where's my code and where's my customer? And when you start looking at the world through this lens, I think uh, you end up building amazing things. Another important set of latency figures are those that have to do with the tension. This is something that's also been very transformational in my career. So there are several studies that point to how many hundreds of milliseconds or numbers of seconds have to elapse for someone to think that an interaction is instant, for someone to think that an interaction is real time, for someone to lose their attention because they're waiting too much, and what kind of UI responsiveness you have to build in. Uh, sometimes you might want to decide to use animation instead of rendering a blank page for your customer. So I, I, my advice would be know your latency figures 
as well as if you are a business person, you would know your business metrics or cost of user acquisition. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I suppose all of that information enables you to measure as well, um, which is obviously an important factor in understanding how effective your your site or your application actually is. And I also think it, it becomes a model for how you uh, navigate the world. So uh, just think about creating an onboarding experience for your next application or website. If you think about latency, not just uh, on a granular basis, like I just talked about, but you also think about the global latency of larger processes, you may think about, okay, like I want my user to add a credit card uh, when they first sign up to my website so that I, so that I, can, I can provide them a service. So you can start to think, okay, like, how long am I taking to explain the value proposition of my product so they truly understand it? And then how uh, much am I burdening them with the process of uh, introducing a, a payment method or introducing their email so that it can stay in touch? So you start sort of navigating the world through this idea of optimizing interactions with people and providing greater value in a more efficient manner. Okay, that's great. Um, Guillermo, can you maybe tell us about your worst IT career moment and what you learned from that experience? Yeah, I think I've had a few. Uh, one of the things that uh, came to mind uh, since we were talking about open source, it was a, the worst time that ended up becoming a great time. And I think you, you're going to come across a lot of such pivotal moments throughout your IT career. For me, when I launched Socket.io, I created it when I was 17 or 18 years old. I can't even remember now. And I was really excited about it because uh, what I was just nerding out about, about latency, uh, Socket.io, for those of you that haven't heard of it, uh, was one of the first implementations of a real-time communications framework. It powered a lot of chat applications. It was used at different points by companies like Trello and Microsoft to power things like chat and uh, real-time collaboration on documents on Office 365. And Socket.io was this thing that I really wanted to have because I was frustrated with web applications not being real-time enough. So to learn that something changed, you would have to refresh your entire page. And I was like, whoa, no, that's taking several seconds. And someone is writing you a message or someone's sending you a notification. So the amount of time that has to elapse from a chat message being received by a server and then therefore received by the customer should be no time at all. So all of these things that I'm now talking about are pretty obvious, right? Like you go to uh, messenger.com, use all sorts of applications that will give you updates in real time. And one of the implementation details that makes this possible for a wide variety of applications is this technology called WebSockets. And we all take them for granted today. So if you go to your favorite chat application today and you go to the DevTools or Web Inspector, you're going to find that there is a WebSocket connection. So when I created Socket.io, this was not the case. I actually heard of WebSocket as a potential new spec that was being discussed. And I thought, well, there are some early versions of this in the internet already. So it, there's no way that it's impossible to do real-time WebSockets today. So what I did is I set out to implement 
different transport mechanisms that gave you the exact same benefits that you get from WebSockets today, but that was a long, long time ago. And when I published it uh, on the internet, I was very, very excited. So at the time, Node.js was so early that in order to use the first version of Socket.io, you would have to download a C++ patch. You would have to patch Node.js, recompile it, then download the Socket.io code from GitHub. There was no NPM. And you would run it, and then you would create your first chat application with five lines of code. And I thought, I'm really proud of this. It's, it's amazing. I can demo it to people, and I remember everyone just being so excited about it, at least here in San Francisco. And then when I published it on, on the internet, it's when some, one of my worst moments at the time happened, uh, which was the reception was just awful. And I remember it, it made it to Reddit. And Reddit was even more full of trolls than it is today. And uh, <laughs> and just all the comments were like overwhelmingly negative. Uh, one of them was like, why is this person creating sockets, a uh, socket library, if sockets already exist? And I remember thinking to myself, that is literally 100% false. The reason that I'm creating is because sockets actually don't exist in a web browser. So yep. uh, the reason that I think that became eventually, because at the time it was really bad, but eventually became one of the greatest moments was I realized that the act of creation is always, almost always a controversial one, at least for a subset of people. It's a, you know, I started, uh, even though I was young and I was new to all of this, I started developing the thick skin that is required to, in a lot of cases, change the status quo or create something new or make people think differently uh, about, you know, what the bar of quality is. You know, for the most part, I think that a project was an exercise in trying to push the web forward and, and tell people, hey, you can do all of this today. Let's make it faster today. So it was a worse moment uh, for me at the time that then became, and now I can look back on it, it was a, is a, is a cherished moment, obviously. And I think yeah. uh, because these are I, worst career IT moments, uh, excluding you know a lot of bad stuff that happens in our industry with regards to excluding minorities or, or sexism and so on, I think for the most part, you'll find that a lot of bad career moments are actually then end up turning positive because they were just a uh, transitive bad experience. Yes. Okay, so moving away from your worst moment, can you perhaps tell us about your career highlight or greatest success? I even just recently had a great moment with it where I was, uh, I think, on a, a Finnish air. I travel a lot for my work and uh, either to talk at conferences, not so much these days, but I meet with customers and, and um, uh, partners and I was, I think, I was on a on a plane. I was uh, Finnish Air, which is an amazing airline. By the way, I was having such a great time. The airline food for a change was really great, and everything was amazing. And then I remember uh, going to their. Uh, oh yeah, this is why I had a great mood about. I have a great mood about it because it, they had a great uh, in-flight Wi-Fi, which for me is absolutely, <laughs> absolutely critical. Uh, yes. So I remember being on their uh, landing page. And for the you know the interstitial page that comes up when you have to log into a Wi-Fi, and it felt this page felt really great, and um, my sort of nerd spidey senses were ticking off. And because the web is so awesome that you can inspect anything, another career tip is that 
what I do is I, I'm always reverse engineering everything. I'm always just like right clicking and viewing source and opening yeah. the dev tools. It's just like, I have this innate curiosity about if I perceive something that works great as a customer, as a person, I try to then as an engineer, understand why I loved it. So then I, I figured out that a lot of that, uh, inter- a lot of those interactions of this random airline in Scandinavia uh, was powered by a lot of my technology. So there were the, and what I uh, reverse engineer further is that this socket AO server that was providing the uh, real time updates about where the plane was and like flight duration and all this stuff was actually running in the computer that is inside the plane that you connect to when, when you connect, uh, cause you know, sometimes it, lo- it has to load a page, even though the satellite connection is off. So it was a great moment just to see that, you know, software literally has no frontiers that you create something as a little person somewhere in the middle of the world, you put it on GitHub, a great community of people help you, people give you feedback patches, et cetera. And then you're flying around in the middle of nowhere and you find your software to have enabled a lot of what's possible today. And I think regardless of any business success that I've also had because of everything that I've created, just that idea of having contributed to such a remote experience uh, is definitely a highlight. I suppose it's it's this contribution, as you say, it's, it's that's the key to it. F- seeing that you've made a difference to uh not only the company, but also their customers as well. Correct. So Guillermo, what excites you about the future of the IT industry and careers in IT? Many things. Uh, one of them, as a, as a CEO now, uh, I spend a lot of, of my time just making the best team possible and uh, you know, giving them a lot of these lessons that I'm now sharing uh, the, uh, with you. And, and uh, I had a great moment recently where I made a few hires of people that are very new to the industry. One of them, uh, of a woman that had been an economist until very recently and decided to switch careers, uh, taught herself, uh, went to a boot camp and also taught herself a lot, worked really hard on her skills. Then we, as part of the hiring process, we gave her a, like a little challenge to work on a little thing that to see if we could work well together. And like, it's the, experience so far of working with someone that's new to the industry as a professional now has been just absolutely uh, amazing. The experience of welcoming new people to the industry and giving them our best practices and tools has been amazing. Similarly, also as of a few weeks ago, someone out of a school here in San Francisco that also was new to the, this is a remote school that is new to the industry as well and just exhibited a lot of passion for what he's doing and a lot of contributions on GitHub and so on. And this is something that excites me a lot. I see a, a huge stream of newcomers to the industry that, that now have all these great tools to learn more quickly than we did back in the day. Because yeah. remember, I, my career starts with open source, but it wasn't then where it is today. Like We didn't have uh, the same access to resources. We didn't have this all these amazing tools to deploy quickly or test things in the browser or the dev tools. You know, the Chrome dev tools that we take for granted today were uh, 
an experiment or invention that the Firefox team decided to put out back in the day, and it was an optional add-on called Firebug. So I'm excited about you know how quickly it is to to become proficient in this industry, how quickly it is to insert yourself in a remote team of distributed employees like we have today. Uh, our company is almost entirely distributed, and we communicate on Slack and work on GitHub, and you know. Uh, we can make a difference to people's lives very, very quickly. So that's that's something I'm very excited about and I want to do more of because our tools are designed so that anyone in the world can deploy a website or application to the cloud in a matter of milliseconds. We also get to experience these tools every day with our own team as we work on them. So there's this dog footing process. Yes. So that excites me to no end because... If we want to build the best possible product, we also have to use it every single day, polish it, teach it to new people that are coming into the company, and continue to have this really amazing tight feedback loop. That's something that I'm seeing the IT industry become more welcoming of people that you know have been systematically isolated from it. I see a lot. I'm personally super excited about uh, the communities of developers in Africa, particularly in Nigeria who I'm thankful that I've been working with so many amazing people there now on, on our projects. Uh, and overall, it's just, I, I see the tides of the industry changing and becoming more open and transparent. Yeah, that are all great points, definitely. Um, we're going to go into the reveal round now. We're going to find out a little bit more about you and the way you think. Are you ready for this? Sure. So what first attracted you to a career in IT? It was a mixture of developing websites for uh, the things that I was passionate about. Uh, back in the day, I was like really into like anime. I mean, uh, still am, but not building websites for it anymore. So also video games, like the idea of building a video game was incredibly attractive to me. I was playing a lot with video games, but also hacking, actually. This was obviously more controversial, but... I was I was just like like the idea of of hacking something like using a hacking into a program or reverse engineering. I was I loved reverse engineering. One of my coworkers, he's a father, and he was telling me his favorite thing to do with his son. His favorite thing is disassembling, and that reminded me a lot of my early days. Of I just love disassembling. What is the best career advice you've ever received? The best career advice had to do with uh, shortly after that Socrative experience, I had an email from a really amazing person here in the industry who was who taught me about having you know ignoring the haters, so to speak. Yeah. Um, especially like just you know read my, my mantra is like read the comments, but don't take them to heart. A piece of advice that I received was try to look at things as objectively as possible as creations. And another thing related to that that someone told me once was, you know, don't become too attached. Uh, don't don't associate your identity or your ego necessarily with a particular technology or or choice of style of programming because things are changing constantly. So that helped me a lot not to be very very open minded about change. If you were to begin your IT career again right now, what would you do? 
I think I would do a lot of the same that I did, um, but a lot of it, again, was out of luck. So now I think I would know exactly why I would be doing it. Um, one of the things that I did very early on was I joined a uh, website where I was getting paid to work on different little tasks. So that idea of not just looking at it as a hobby, but subjecting it to the demands of the real world are, I think, one of the most important things that happened in my career early on that was because I met this random person in a forum whose nickname I cannot even remember, and he had an abstract avatar. So for all, for what it's worth, it's, uh, it's an, it was an anonymous, you could call it an artificial intelligence for what it is. <laughs> but this person, but this person was so adamant. I was like, he was like, you seem to have a good knack for answering questions and helping people out. You should really put this to test by joining this website and starting to like get paid for what you do. And that advice it was so pivotal to me because when I started joining those uh, projects, I, I started to get the real feedback loop. Uh, one uh, tangential piece of advice related to this is you might think that something works, but in reality, until you put it in front of the end user, the buyer, the person that's really going to depend on it, that's when you really find out that something works. Yes. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, what career objectives are you currently focusing on? I think one of the, I mean, this might sound cliche. Um, one of the things that I focus on now is to have as much impact as possible. A lot of our time is super, super valuable. I think this is true for anyone that's getting started or anyone that has already seen a lot of success. Deciding what to work on is the most important thing. Deciding what to learn. Any second that you spend uh, in front of a computer is, is time that you're spending not with your friends and family. And, and I think having that discernment that your time is so valuable and you have to spend it on things that truly have a lot of impact. I've met amazing people who get a lot done and are not working like 23 hours a day. Uh, even if you decide that your path is to work 23 hours a day, you still have to choose the, the best task and the best usage of your time. And I think for me today, that is uh, having as much impact as possible, having as much impact in terms of mentoring our, uh, our company or expanding it or reaching more users or reaching more regions of the world uh, with our network and with our deployment infrastructure. I spend a lot of time thinking this, this would be another uh, interesting piece of advice. Um, everything meaningful that I've ever done, the ratio of time that I spent just thinking relative to the time that I spent coding or mocking up in a design tool. Because part of my background has always been in designing and just focusing a lot on what things look like and what the experiences look like. So I've spent a lot of time with uh, tools like Fireworks way, way back in the day and Sketch. And so, but in reality, every time that I've done something that turned out to be big, the actual coding time or designing time wasn't that great as much as the time that is spent on thinking. So I would encourage uh, people to take this attitude to work of 
work doesn't just happen, you know, in front of your computer. Work happens when you're talking to customers to find out about your, their pain points, uh, discussing with colleagues uh, in the shower, uh, <laughs> taking walks. There's just so many different ways of evolving your mindset and your thinking and getting inspired that are also work. It's just that work doesn't always look the same. Yes, that's very true. And what's the number one non-technical skill that has helped you in your career so far? By far, presentational skills. Just focusing on what the, what is the blog post that talks about the thing that you just created look like? What does the screenshot look like? What does the video look like? What does the copy say? I, I, you know, you go to uh, apple.com and you'll see that there is just as much care and attention that goes into building the iPhone as a piece of hardware that's thin and so on, as it goes into the copy, the text that's on, on the website. I'm a firm believer that design is just the content. So just like uh, Steve Jobs said about uh, marketing, he said two interesting things to me. Like One is the best marketing is education, teaching people about your product, your technology, how to best use it. Yep. But also the insight that people have very little time. Their attention is being constantly fought over by so many apps and businesses and websites and drama on Twitter. <laughs> so you have very little time to make a difference. You have very little time. You have to pick your words. You have to be concrete. You have to iterate over those few words. You have to take words away. That goes back to presentational skills. As another sort of personal tidbit, um, when I created Socket AO, I received a lot of praise at the time from the creator of Node.js because the technology itself kind of took him by surprise. He didn't expect Node to be the platform for something like that to be created. What he told me was that he thought that that was a, such a novel usage of it that he was just captivated by it. I was working at a startup at the time and I told him, hey, what do you think about coming over to our office to talk about Node.js and we can invite some people to like come and, and, and chat about it? And his response, I was kind of like shy about it. I was like, what do you think? Like, sorry if, if this is a crazy idea. And he was like, of course. Why would I not take... He, his reaction was so memorable to me. He's like, of course. Why would I not take any opportunity that I can to talk about my software. So I think that's the, the, the main uh, takeaway from that is talking and presenting about what you're working on and what you, what you built, just as important as what you built. Guillermo, can you share a parting piece of career advice with the IT career Energizer audience? So my parting piece of advice would be to always uh, try to think outside of the box as much as possible. Going back to the idea of a lot of uh, creation is an act of controversy, I think. I think the most important creations are an act of controversy. I think the best way to find inspiration is to look outside the momentum of everyday conversation, to look outside Twitter, to look outside Reddit, to 
go and talk to people, to look at uh, other industries, to look at other art forms, especially when you are in the business of this, in the industry, in the day in and day out, your creativity and your focus might get locked in. So I think it's so important to always look outside for motivation uh, and inspiration. Another interesting piece of advice that I've, that I've heard that was very important to me was process is incredibly important, but don't become a, a victim of your process. Don't become a company of just process because ultimately innovation is about the creative endeavor and not so much about the mechanics and, and processes behind it. So it, it's a hard thing to do. Obviously, not everyone's going to be able to do this, um, but to try to uh, think outside the box as much as possible and to try to be a, a contrarian. And uh, I think you'll find a lot of success. And finally, what's the best way we can find out more about you and connect with you? Contrary to my advice, I do spend a lot of time on Twitter. So twitter.com slash G. I do spend a lot of time on helping us communicate through our blog and so zeit.co for our company and slash blog i think it's a great way to stay in touch with everything that uh we're putting out great okay um guillermo thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today it's been great chatting with you thank you well i hope you enjoyed listening in to today's episode and to my guest career tips advice and experiences you'll find a show notes page for today's episode on the IT Career Energizer website, which will be itcareerenergizer.com slash e, and then the number of today's episode. And a quick reminder that the show has now three episodes every week on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. So make sure that you are subscribed to the show to get new episodes automatically downloaded. Also, don't forget to join the IT Career Energizer community Facebook group you'll get to engage with other like-minded people, get to find out more about upcoming guests and other episodes, and can get involved in the future direction of the podcast. It really is a great pleasure to be able to talk to so many inspirational people from across the industry and to be able to share their stories and advice with you. Thanks for listening, and remember, if you're not growing your career, you're slowing your career. Thanks for listening to the IT Career Energizer podcast. To find out more about building a successful career in IT, visit itcareerenergizer.com.